Welcome to another episode of Going Back, 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 a sports podcast bringing you all the best of sports, both past and present. My name is Brian Gay, and with me is my co-host, Tom Young. Hey everybody, hope you're all doing well tonight. We got another fun-filled show for you. So our sports tidbits and facts are going to run through September 10th to September 16th as we are going back, back, back. So just to start the show off tonight for you, Brian, you're probably not going to like this one, but don't shoot the messenger on this stat. Since week one of 2022, and I don't know if you've seen this one or not, but Josh Allen, he has played 19 football games. Oh, I know exactly where you're going with this. He has 20 interceptions. He also has 17 fumbles in those 19 games. That would be a total of 37 picks and fumbles over the course of those 19 games, averaging exactly almost two picks or fumbles a game. Yeah, so this isn't going to anger me as much as you thought it might because I was just because I was aware of it. Um, my brother sent this to me after the game. We were commiserating together, um, as we have for twenty plus years as Bills fans. Um, I it, Josh Allen's a gunslinger, and you kind of expect yeah, it comes with the territory. It comes bit. with the territory, but when you really when you add those fumbles into the mix too, that's where it really like really gets worrying. Um, it's just being a little careless with the ball. Like Monday night, he threw a couple picks that were just like deep downfield and results more or less oh, in a punt. Unbelievably careless. Which I guess it's not the end of the world, especially if it's like a third down and you're just going for the deep shot. Why not? Yeah. Probably beats the punt anyway because you give that person a chance to return it and maybe score a touchdown. That's how I was rational. Well, that's how I was rationalizing. Oh, you mean like they did in overtime? Yeah, I mean, I I was kind of leading that way, but yeah, figured, glad you're picking up what I'm putting. Oh, I'm picking it up because it was painful from start to finish. Um, the first interception didn't really bother me um, because it was like a really, really good punt. He pinned him on the four, but he only needed like six yards. He took off to the left. He probably had the first down yardage if he went, or he was at least going to make it close. Josh can pick up the, that yardage pretty quickly. Yeah, he's a big guy. He's tough to bring down. Yeah, he's quick. He Once he gets moving, you see those legs get, get chopping. They're long strides. He gets downfield very quickly. Yeah, get out the way. You don't want to be on the train tracks when that train's coming. So I, you know, I gave him the benefit of the doubt on that one. Uh, pick number two. Was another kind of same situation, just stupid throw. Um, again, it was a third down, I believe, and this time it was like third and two. And this is where it gets really frustrating. And there seems to have been a regression with Josh. I don't know if that gets uh, attributed back to Dable leaving. Dable was a very stabilizing presence for him. Um, and who's Dor- the offensive coordinator now for? So it's Ken Dorsey. So um, kind someone of someone who's been around the league for a while, right? As, yeah, former Heisman winner. Um, I believe he won a husband. Um, played in the league, and then he was a former quarterback, right? He was a quarterback, yeah. So played in the league. Um, has been around the league. He's part of that um, Carolina to uh, Buffalo pipeline that's been going on for a little while. And um, right, because McDermott was from Carolina after Philly, right? Yeah. So so was Bean, the the head coach. So I was wrong. Dorsey was not a uh, Heisman winner, but he was the two time NCAA quarterback of the year. And he won the Maxwell Award as well as two Archie Griffin Awards. Um, I knew he was pretty highly regarded. The Archie Griffin Award actually signifies college's most valuable player for the entire season. Um, so, like, the man was – he's got the chops. Like, so it's almost a Heisman, just not quite. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so, but his play calling – there's people that have been questioning his play calling, but personally, I, I think it's – more watching it more, it's falling on Josh. I you can see a few things. One, he gets mentally out of the game very quickly. Like you can see on his face, you could see on his face Monday night that he wasn't in it. And that's never good from your franchise quarterback. No, either. and this is unfortunately this is something that has been lingering with him. I've we see I've seen it 
And as soon as you notice it on the side, like he doesn't seem to be able to get himself out of that funk. You think he wishes he was on the golf course instead? That's what, that's a joke. A lot of people, that's what a lot of people are throwing that around, but it's like, he seems, especially this, this off season was really the first off season where he like leapt in that superstardom. He's on Verizon commercials constantly. I see him in Tostitos commercials. He's in Gillette ads. Um, he's golfing all the time. He's on the Pat McAfee show constantly. He's busting with the boys. Like his mind is not on football. He went through a breakup. Like this man is all kinds of, there's so many things pulling in so many different directions. He's got a quarter of a billion dollars committed to him. He probably has, feels the pressure on his shoulders from the fans of Buffalo. Just like Trey Turner was with the fans in Philly, and look what that standing O did for him. Yeah, and, but in the end, it, unfortunately, it came down to Josh Allen is the reason the Bills lost on Sunday night, or Monday night. Uh, the defense played very well. Um, special teams obviously wasn't great. The Bills didn't even deserve to get into overtime with the way they were playing. Um, a lot of just stupid pl- passes. I mean, third and two, and this is something that Josh is guilty of a t- time and time again. Third and two, third and short in general. He'll have guys open. He can just pick up yards with his feet. He'll try to sling the ball 30, 40 yards downfield. Always going for the home run play. Yes. And like he, and it kills me because the full first half, he was playing smart, playing short, taking what was given to him. Yeah, that was and, a great touchdown pass to Diggs at the end of the yeah, like and midway through the second quarter. There, that's where Josh gets keeps entertained. Uh, Mina Connors had a great tweet. She said it was like the R no 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 yes King is back and like that is a hundred percent watching him, but like it seems like he's regressing. Um, so overall, I was like pretty, I was pretty comfortable with the Bills' performance as a whole because their guys were getting open. When you watch the film back and you see images of like the one where he threw it a double coverage to Gabe Davis, 30 yards downfield. Stefan Diggs is wide open across the middle short. And Diggs had a great game. Diggs had a great game against Jets defense. Yeah. But the Jets defense is like very yards. good, but they didn't force Josh to play the way he did. Josh, it was a hundred percent on him. They were not that good, um, but they're a very good team. So I digress. I'm still standing by my pick because I think if they can put it back to, they can put it together. There's a lot of outside factors and it's only week one. Like look at, Mahomes lost to the Lions. Uh, the Browns beat up on the Bengals. Joe Burrow looked pedestrian. He had, what, 80-some yards? Yeah, like at least Josh threw for a few hundred, but, like, he still, you know. But and they so, scored, what, three points, I think? Yeah, 24-3, to three, the Bengals did. So it's week one. Like, I'm not expecting a whole lot. Definitely I, an overreaction, I feel, from the media, per se, saying, yeah. you know, what's up with Josh Allen? Granted, there's the trending storyline here of two picks or fumbles a game. Yeah. Not great. I don't think they're overblowing what's going on with him. Uh, there's something clearly mentally not there right now where you, cause like I said, you can see it. And like last year in the playoff game against the Bengals where they came out and got spanked right off the bat. Most of them looked like they were not interested in being there, but Josh specifically just looked like he's out of it. I've seen it time and time again in the middle of games where we might be winning, but he throw through a pick or two and he's just, he, he's out of it and we lose the game. The Vikings game last year is a great example. The bills were smoking them. And then a few things started going wrong and he kind of shut down, fumbled it on the, his, own, his own goal line to give him a touchdown and then the Jefferson Jefferson catch. Um, overall, I'm wishing the best. He's still, I see, I think, still think he's an amazing player. I think he just has a lot of things to work on. He's to get his head on right. Like we all do. Mental health is very important. Um, and we don't all have to do our jobs on uh, the big, uh, screen in front of tens of millions of people every week. So, yeah, we also aren't getting paid $250 million a year yeah. uh, for a contract. I, I know. If, if the Bills, if that is a concern, though, with the Bills, like, that's your leader, quote-unquote leader, your franchise quarterback. Like, if he's 
showing non-interest and is like moping on the sidelines, that's definitely going to have a trickle-down effect, wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think having when, once Von Miller's back, he can kind of turn things around. He's just a consummate leader. Um, so he should be back around week four or five, hopefully. Yeah, he's on the pup at the moment, so he's out say, of did, these four. Did he get put up? Put on the pup list. Yeah, so he's out of these four, which is understandable. He's in his mid thirties and coming off a uh, ACL um, or Achilles. I don't remember which one. I think it was ACL. But yeah. speaking of Achilles, yeah, say, injuries, old dudes and Achilles talking about the other half of the ball. Aaron Rodgers four plays into the game tears his Achilles on what just seemed like a routine sack almost. Yeah, he didn't look anything crazy. Um, honestly, I don't love. I don't like the guy, but like I, I really feel for him. Um, the Bills fan of me was all pumped when it happened. It's like, all right, now the pressure's off on this game, but we still see yeah, how that just like bum ankle or something. Like yeah. done. Yeah. You never uh, wish injury upon anyone. No. Whether uh, you like the guy off the field or not. But like you said, you kind of feel for him. He was seemed like he was becoming a more likable person than what he was showing in Green Bay with like opening up up there in New York. I mean, I think we we're just seeing more of him. Yeah, and it was trending in that direction to rebrand himself more or less. And then Seemed like he was doing well in preseason a little bit in the limited snaps he was getting, connecting with Garrett Wilson. And then, boom, four plays in and his season's over. Yeah, he had all the tools in this New York offense to make a lot of noise. Uh, I mean, there's some real, like Garrett Wilson is a real threat across, uh, out, out wide. Brees Hall looked very good. Yeah, that, that was about like a 75-yard run 82, on his second touch. 82-yard run. And granted, 20 on his first know, one. Granted, he ended the game with like 130 yards on – more like quite a few carries so a lot of that came off of two plays but still that explosive factor that yeah. he was known for last yeah. year before tearing his acl clearly looked like it for sure didn't bother him i'll be curious to see where he goes i find it interesting i mean obviously it sucks with aaron Rodgers. it was like a big moment for him you know leading the team out of the field on 9 11 in new york well new jersey um but in front of a new york crowd with the American flag, and it was a pretty cool intro introduction environment, and then all of that goes down, and it happens, and it's unfortunate to see, um, but I found it very interesting that I noticed that the commentary got very, um, it really died down after that happened, because they had game planned their whole game just to talk about him. Right, it's like, what do you do from there? Your whole, your script that you just pre- plan for the past couple of days or just out the window yeah this might be more irks me more as a bills fan than the josh allen said is that it seems like a lot of times they play they they talk about the other team a lot more than they talk about buffalo and as a bills fan that just feels like you feel slighted like chris collinsworth can suck a fat one um but you can tell that aikman and buck didn't had nothing prepared they weren't talking about any of the any of the guys in the field beyond the actual play that was happening um ref, referring back to rogers getting hurt so often and I just, I don't know, I don't, it, I didn't love it. Um, obviously, the whole game sucked, in my opinion, but that's just being a salty fan. Yeah, tough watch at the end. You know, you're, you get a hype in the preseason. You're thinking, this is our year. And then the star quarterback for the team goes down on the first drive. Oh, yeah. You're like, all right, well, yeah. 1-0, here we go. Going to start the season off on a great foot. And then, unfortunately... They can't pull it out, and they lose an overtime on a punt return for a touchdown. Yeah, and I, you know, I feel for Aaron Rodgers. Like I said, I don't feel for Jets fans. They can also suck it. Um, but it, you know, I could only imagine. Like I can't. I'd be devastated if four plays into a season, Josh went down, and next thing you know, he's out for the year. Um, so I definitely, I definitely feel where that pain would come from. Um, but across the league, your Eagles had a scare. The Patriots. That Patriots defense is always a tough one. Um. Sirianni definitely got out coached, but I think the Eagles just out talented them in the end. 
Um, definitely an interesting uh, Eagles were able to pull it out, which says a lot about the team. But like, it seemed like it was going the wrong direction pretty quickly at one point. Now, I can't say I watched too much of the game. I was down at the Phillies on Sunday, um, and then I watched the second quarter in a bar, and then like drove home. wasn't really paying attention too much in the bar because it was like packed, and I was standing and maneuvering. Eat- in and out of the way of people walking by, so oh, I, I wasn't it. fully focused. Uh, neither was I. I was installing baseboards in our house. So, <laughs> so I mean, they were out to what a fourteen nothing lead with the I thought six and I thought they were going to like whatever it was truly run away with it at the beginning, like because they just started putting up points and the Patriots couldn't do anything. And then it seemed like, I mean, I don't want to blame the weather and the field. I don't want to go back to Super Bowl and blaming the but, field, but we're blaming the field. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it just seemed like Jalen Hurts was not ever comfortable all day from what yeah. I, you know what i've heard and what i've read up on and the offense just never really got in sync no the the patriots offensive line got our defensive line got the best of the eagles offensive line uh, more than i would have anticipated but that's kind of what bill belichick led teams do their front four just gets after it and to me it makes you question like why do these guys not play in the preseason at least like a snap why are it's got to be I, I was having that conversation with, with another friend where it's obvious. Like you watch the guys who didn't play in the preseason came out cold. Yeah, they're like, gonna get tired quicker. Noticeably cold. They're the ones who are gonna be cramping up in like the third and fourth quarters. And when you're tired physically, you're gonna then get tired mentally too. And that's when those mistakes happen and those can cost you a game. Granted, oh, yeah. it's week one and a lot of people like to overreact to wins and losses or how the win happened. I mean, if you listen to sports talk radio in the city, it was like they lost the game and <laughs> yeah. the season's over. Well, because everybody, everyone uh, that was talking about it was like, oh, yeah, we're going to go in there win by 30, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they still cover the spread. What's the matter? <laughs> a win's a win in the end. But honestly, like, it's taken getting, you know, watching the sports and going. I mean, we talked about this last week. And for me, it was really paying attention to the Phillies. That 162-game season and learning to realize that, like, the early part doesn't really matter unless it's going very badly and you're losing a bunch off the bat. Yeah, unless you lose, like, 20-plus games in the first yeah. month of April, like, you're yeah. going to be okay. Yeah, like, Buffalo has Vegas in Buffalo this this upcoming week. I feel like that's a good game to turn it around. You know, you hit a, hit a speed bump off the bat, let Josh get home, be around the fans that adore him, and will go nuts for him. Let him get his confidence back because he's clearly lacking it. Because, like, the throws he made you'd think would involve confidence, but I think it was more just pressing it. So, all right, I can talk about the Bills forever. So, I'll, <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll just sit here and soap. listen. What I'll, else you got to say about the Bills? I'll get off my soapbox. I could just go and go and go. I'm just not beat up about it. You know, there's still 16 games to be played. Right. It's a long season. If they lose the next one, next next game or two, then, you know, this might be a very different conversation in a few weeks. But yeah, then I'll bring up the stat how if you go like 0 2 to start the year, your playoff chances are like very slim next yeah, week if that bad. happens with the Bills. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> was there any other games that caught your eye? The game that caught my eye was the Dolphins yeah, and the Chargers. That's that was probably 100%. the best game of the week. By, yeah. uh, by far. An absolute shootout. Tyreek Hill was unstoppable. Um, I, I, I was pissed because it was not on TV here. We had to sit through, like, the Bears-Packers, which actually was also a pretty good game. Yeah, 38 to 20 Packers win. The Packers were way better. love getting game. off to a great start. Yeah. Um, but the I going back, though, the Dolphins-Chargers was very intriguing to me. Number one, because they're two teams that could be really fighting for spots in the AFC playoffs uh, picture, but also two young quarterbacks, Tua, who has really improved vastly um, as long as he can. He just avoids the entry bug. Yeah. I mean, poor, I, he, and I find him very likable. So, um, you know, seeing him hit it, I don't like any, watching anyone get there, like hit their head like that. 
Um, like the way he's been hit the past couple of years um, is is definitely nerve wracking. Yeah, I think he had what three concussions last year and two yeah. were in a matter of like ten days or something. Yeah, the last one that happened was uh, was against the Bills. I remember watching it and the way his hands curled up. It was just like oh yeah, and then he just sickening. like fell down, right? Sickening, dude. Yeah. Um, he actually, if I th- think I remember this correctly, he took like jujitsu classes like over the summer to teach himself how to like fall properly. Interesting, huh? I saw somebody, uh, there's some other conversation I saw about that where, oh, Michael Parsons took uh, work, took boxing classes and boxing lessons to learn how to use his hands. And he they found that he was getting um, slowed up by guys like getting up and up close to his head with blocks and stuff. And it helped him learn to start dodging blocks and dodging hands. And Well, I mean, the Cowboys looked absolutely great Sunday night. They shut out the Giants. What was that final score? 40, 40 to nothing. nothing. I mean, but, granted, it was a lot of defensive stuff, so it's not like yeah, I was the saying, Cowboys offense did a whole lot, but... I'll be curious, is is it a case of the Giants are horrible? Or the Cowboys defense is that good? Yeah. It helps when you start started off with blocking a kick and returning it for a touchdown. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot a, of defensive and special teams related I mean, scoring for the Cowboys. That's a pretty nasty defense, like when you really put it on paper, like you're Three best players are Micah Parsons, who is arguably the best defensive player in football. And then your top two cornerbacks are Stephon Gilmore and Trayvon Diggs. Yeah, both. I mean, I think Gilmore's more of a shutdown corner, and then oh, yeah. Diggs is more of a, I'm going to jump this route and get an interception. Stephon Gilmore is arguably going to be a Hall of Famer when all, all is said and done. I hate to say that because of the so way he, he had a great Buffalo career with the, pa- the Patriots. Yeah, he left Buffalo for big money to New England. That always stings, and he was kind of a prick about it. Uh, but he's been an amazing cornerback. He got the money he deserved. The Bills were not going to pay him that at the time, and he wasn't interested. So um, he definitely, you let him be the, the shutdown corner because Trayvon Diggs' his big issue last year was he would, sure, he had all those picks, but he got burnt quite a bit. Yeah, you hit him with a double move, you, you might be off yeah. to the races scoring yourself a touchdown. So I think now you can use throw Gilmore on their number one guy and let Diggs kind of, Rome on the number two, number th- somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, pick and choose about who he wants to cover. And yeah, you can pick kind up, of cover quote unquote, easy matchups. Yeah, so they're going to be an interesting team. Other than that, you know, I don't think – I wasn't really all that intrigued by any of the other scores or games. I mean, obviously it's hard to pay attention to all of them um, actively, but – Yeah, I mean, we were talking about that Washington, about like a potentially easy survivor pool type. They win, made it. And they <laughs> they squeezed made it close. that one out with a win over the Arizona Cardinals, twenty to sixteen. Yeah, they did squeeze that one out. I mean, another barn burner was the Saints and Titans, sixteen to fifteen. There was uh yeah some low scoring football. Um, the Jaguars took theirs what thirty one twenty one I believe over the yeah, Colts. Yeah, they defeated the Colts in Indy. With Anthony Richardson looked very good for a rookie quarterback. Yeah, and it looks like all the raw tools are there, and he looked much more developed than what people were anticipating coming out of the draft and into the preseason. Well, it sounds like a lot of the conversations surrounding him coming out of the Indianapolis camp has been that he's a much more like mature person, really good head on his shoulders than I think pe- than people would have given him credit for, but also he is th- such an un- like a not unknown commodity, but like such a newer commodity cuz he didn't play a ton in, in college. He his name really popped up just from the one year that he had a really good like a pretty good year. Yeah, the, his draft year. So um, I think that we're seeing, finally they're getting to see him. You know, there's been a lot of these guys who played a little bit in college, got off, to, got up to the pros, and they finally got, like, the the true looks and were not what you thought they would be. Like, uh, Cardale Jones comes to mind just because he. Yeah, at Ohio State. Yeah, he played, what, like, seven games or something. and 
seven awesome games or like whatever it was. in college yeah in college yeah. and then uh, granted he was like a fifth round pick it wasn't like he they took him high where like richardson went but um just trey lance i mean is the, obviously i think the, really the big one that you think about right now when it comes to um unproven wasn't jordan love didn't jordan love have a similar situation where he didn't play a ton yeah out of utah or and then nevada, he was nevada i believe yeah one of the two one of those same thing west coast as far schools. as i'm concerned and now he's, you know, first round pick a couple of years ago, which hey, never made sense. If you're no. the Packers, like, why are you taking a quarterback in the first round? No, it was still a build around Rodgers. Their whole idea of whatever they were doing to take their draft picks never made any sense to me. No, their drafting doesn't make sense. You never gave him weapons. Um, and then they just made a lot of questionable choices. Granted, if love turns out to be pretty solid, they may, may look like geniuses. Right. Yeah. Because he now looked- Rodgers career is potentially done, unfortunately, and, uh, for him. Granted, Love sat on the bench for three years first, so it's not like they got an immediate return. But and he Rogers looked, did the same thing. Under yeah, Favre. he looked very good. Um, it'd be very wild if they were just that good at drafting quarterbacks. Or <laughs> granted, they didn't draft Favre, but they took a swing on him um, early in his career. So um, obviously, we could talk football all day. Yeah, one more game I want to touch on. Oh yeah, I think the biggest upset to me was the Buccaneers taking down the Vikings. Like, what did you expect with the Bucks going into the season? No more Tom Brady. Baker Mayfield, kind of a transition year. They were talking about starting Kyle Trask, like a second-year guy. Yeah. I didn't go up there and beat the Vikings, but this goes back to, you know, earlier in the year when we started recording, like the Vikings were always kind of that, like, pretender team, never really yeah. very good. But to lose to the Bucks at home like that, when you are returning most of your guys and then bring in a first-round rookie wide receiver in Jordan Addison who had a good game, Seems like a bad loss and a bad way to start the season. Now they have to travel to Philadelphia for a Thursday night on a short week. That looks like an 0-2 start for the Vikings. Yeah, for sure. And, I, you know, I think the Vikings are one of those teams, like, you're 100% correct, kind of a pretender of a team. They had some, like, unreal record in one-score games last year. Like, they were something like 10-0, and 0, um, where historically that's just not how it works typically in, in the NFL. I mean, but really, they got exposed last year initially in the wild card round the Giants, when the Giants beat them. Yeah, it's tough the, to lose the Giants, the Giants are kind of another pretender team, but the Vikings were like thirteen and three or something last year. They had a 14, 12 and five, four, 13 and four or something. Yeah, they're right range. there for the um, number one seed with the Eagles. Yeah, so I um I I could definitely see them as a pretender. Obviously, J- uh, Justin Jefferson makes things interesting. Jordan Addison had a pretty solid game on offense. Um, the offense seemed to look all right. Um, I just I was surprised the Bucks. Yeah, I didn't expect a whole lot from them, especially because they weren't even that good with old Brady last year. So, um, you know, I think they'll be a fun one to watch. Personally, I find Baker Mayfield to be entertaining. Another guy that kind of tries to do the whole gunslinging routine, but isn't a gunslinger. Doesn't have the arm to do it. Um, he has the I don't want to say mobility because he's not like a quick runner like a Lamar Jackson type, but mobile enough to get around and get out of the pocket and try to make those plays sure yeah absolutely I at mean, least it's entertaining right he's he's willing to get out there he's like johnny manzel but less athletic yeah that's that's fair <laughs> the way he would just run around and let it rip but i'm sure we'll be uh touching back on this and who knows we in a couple weeks we could say wow the buccaneers really are something or you'd be like hey they just beat a bad team because they could both be you know one and yeah, three both and, bad teams. and four who knows but hey real quick let's take a, a short break and when we get back we got some fun sports facts and uh We'll see where the uh, conversation takes us. We'll be right back. This episode of Going Back, Back, Back is brought to you by Rucci Heating and Cooling, LLC, located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. 
For all of your heating, air conditioning, and plumbing needs, call the professionals today at 484-849-1015. Rucci Heating and Cooling LLC, the one-stop call for your business and or home. Call them again at 484-849-1015. All right, and we are back. All right, another shout-out to our sponsors, Rucci Heating and Air Conditioning. They, once again, bought us our beers that we are drinking tonight. We are drinking the Iron Hill Brewery Philly Favorite. Uh, Iron Hill, they're a local kind of chain restaurant out here in Southeast PA. Uh, This is one of their flagship beers, very smooth IPA. Um, One of my favorites that they have whenever I get out there and patronize them. So what what do you think, Brian? What are your thoughts on this beer? Solid, sweet. Yeah, you can't go wrong with it. It's never going to disappoint you. It's not like the best, not a top three beer, but... If whenever you see this show up at your table, you're like, all right, great. Love this one. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad if I drank it again. I'm also, I think personally, just kind of getting away from this uh, New England style. He's like thicker. We were kind of talking about it earlier, the sweeter, thicker. Yeah, the West Coast IPAs are starting to draw more to my attention. So I'll have to. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm hanging more towards like some of the, the lighter beer options these days. Yeah, like the, the loggers. Loggers. And, and like I mentioned, I had a great, uh. Lavender Saison, very random, an aged lavender Saison from uh, Animated Brewing here in Coatesville, PA. Uh, they'd put it on uh, on in bottles and aged it for two two batches, one for two years, one for three years. We were there just grabbing a beer. It was one of the most fascinating things I've ever consumed um, beer-wise. I never thought you could do that with beer. I mean, I guess, I guess it makes sense. You always think of that like with like wine and like whiskey, yeah. and, like age it. Yeah, you got to seal it properly. It's a whole science. It's kind of kind of fascinating, uh, but it was very good. Uh, but I've been kind of trying to experiment more and get away from the IPA heavy. They just don't. They upset my tummy. So yeah, uh, they're they're heavy. They're <laughs> yeah. You can drink a couple, and then next day isn't always the best. They're a little sugary no. too, and you have like three or four, and you have a headache. You're like, what happened last that's, night? That's the thing where the West Coast comes into play. They don't have all that lactose, and they're not as not as sweet, but. Yeah, next time we get a pickup of uh, supply from Rucci Heating, Air, and Conditioning, I'll and lean more IPA. towards the West Coast IPA style. Yeah, it works for me, but... And um, speaking, real quick, Brian, speaking of Rucci Heating, Air, and Conditioning, if you do mention the Going Back, Back, Back podcast to them when you do call over, uh, you will receive 10% off of your total 10%. purchase for for whatever you get done, all your heating and air conditioning needs. And that's a nice little chunk of change. 10% when you're looking at uh, HVAC, it's not exactly cheap, so... Uh, yeah, shout out to them. Thanks for being our sponsor. Yes, Richie Heating and Cooling, Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. All right, so now we have we have been, first and foremost, a sports history podcast for our long and storied history. And we can, we would be remiss to not hit you with some of our fun sports facts for this week. Uh, what we say, September 10th through September 16th. Yes, that is correct. So back in, on September 12th, 1979, the Indiana Pacers cut Ann Myers, the first woman on an NBA club. Did you know that was a thing? I did not. I, I actually saw this, like, looking up some stuff, but I'm glad you picked it. Sounds like a fun one. What do you got so, for me? So, Ann Myers, I think, is somebody I would love to read into more and do a story on. First and foremost, women's sports don't get the love and appreciation they deserve. Um, and she just seems like she was a real high-level athlete. So, uh, Ann was a standout player in high school, college, the Olympics, international tournaments, and at various professional levels. So, she was the first, part, uh, first player to be part of the U.S. national team while still in high school. Um, was also the first woman to be signed to a four-year athletic scholarship for college. Uh, played at UCLA, very storied college basketball tradition at that school. Yeah, both men and women. And then she went on to become the first woman to sign a contract um, by signing with the Pacers for $50,000. So um, it's a very interesting, kind of an interesting story. She 
signed a $50,000 no-cut contract, which I don't fully understand what a no-cut contract is. And then she got cut, so how does that work? Yeah, exactly. So she, <laughs> I'm not sure. I, uh, that was new to me. So she participated in a three-day tryout for the team. Uh, she was the first by any woman to do so. So it sounds like maybe it was like a 10-day, like you see now. It's kind of sort of like a tryout contract. Makes sense. Um, but she eventually was not chosen for that final squad. She did go on to become actually a color con- a color analyst for the Pacers. Um, and that was at a time when there were very few women in sports casting. Nowadays, there's some great sideline reporters, great female sports casters covering the NBA. Um, like I'm person, big Doris Burke guy. I was like, that was the one that stuck out to me, Doris Burke. Um, and then Kate Scott, right, is the new Sixers play-by-play, yeah. replacing uh, Mark Zimoff. I believe so. I believe so. I've, I mean, Aaron Andrews um, has been all over the sports world. Rachel Nichols. There's a lot of really great women that have been involved, and there's so many more that I'm that we're not naming at the moment. Um, so she became a color analyst for them, um, and she was actually also drafted into what at the time was called the WPBL, the Women's Professional Basketball League. In 1978, it was drafted by the New Jersey Gems. Um, played all three seasons of the WPBL, one of the only three teams in the league to survive all three seasons in that league. She was the WPBL co-MVP for the 79-80 season. Um, and then apparently there was a whole there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happened um, as they tried to get women's leagues up and running. And uh, went on to serve as a color analyst for the NBC Sports coverage of women's basketball at the eight, 2008, 2012, and 2016 Summer Olympics. Um, just really, uh, really fascinating. She's a Hall of Famer, um, National High School Hall of Fame, which I didn't know was a thing. <laughs> um, well, I'm not in it, so I don't, I don't know about it either. Yeah, me neither. I got ripped off. And she's been enshrined in uh, the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame since 1993. And I'm just kidding. I averaged like four points a game in basketball in my senior year of high school. Um, I'm nowhere near a <laughs> high school Hall of Famer. My one and baseball record as a pitcher didn't get me in either, so don't I worry, mean, Brian. That's an immaculate record, though. I don't see an L on there. One Tom, what do you got for us? Yeah, one and oh, one inning pitched and like one strikeout was a great performance. Hey, hey, that's a solid, solid outing. How many people can say they got a clean record of no losses on there and 1,000 victory percentage? You? I'm just saying. <laughs> so we're going to go back to September 11th, 1936. Philadelphia A's pitcher Horace Lizenby gave up a total of 26 hits over the course of nine innings. I like that name. Horace Lizenby. Horace. So the manager of the team, Connie Mack. Very famous manager. Had an idea to save money for the team, and that was not to bring as many pitchers on the road trip. So because of that, the club was shorthanded, and Lizenby had to stick it out for all nine innings. During this performance, he tied an MLB record of giving up 26 hits in one game. The A's lost 17-2 to the Chicago White Sox. The game still managed to be completed in under two hours with an official time of one hour and 57 minutes. That's outrageous. So the... <laughs> I don't know how you get a game done that fast with 26 hits. Lots of double plays, maybe? I I didn't see the whole box score, but it seems like to me that at least 27 guys came to the plate, right? Yeah, you're just shy of three guys per three hits per inning. So at that point, you're more or less pitching two games worth, if you think about it, because 26 guys get a hit. There's 27 outs in a game. You still got to get 20, what, four more, 25 more hitters out. Something like that. Math isn't exactly accurate To be there, com- but. completely honest, um, I got caught up looking into my next fact as you were saying that, so I don't, <laughs> I unfortunately cannot back up your math. Yeah, um, the math is probably a little off. You can yell at me later when you listen to the episode. But yeah, let him know on Twitter. Tom Def- Tom specifically handles our Twitter account. Yell at him. Let him yeah, know. let me know. Interact um, with me. Yeah, Hold on. please, somebody, anybody. But yeah, 26 hits in one game. Like, <laughs> 
there's some guys who go out there and throw a perfect game and, you know, throw one-hitters, back-to-back starts. This guy gave up 26 hits in one game. Some guys are happy with 26 hits in, like, two months. Yeah, for real. I couldn't even imagine getting shelled like that and just having to stay out there. Like, it's just so disheartening, I imagine. Yeah, and he was 37 years old at the time. I can't believe uh, he was too happy with Connie Mack after this one. Yeah, no, I would probably would have been retiring at that point, but oh well. All right, moving on. Actually, still not really moving on. We're just going to jump back three years from my first fact, September 12th, 1976. Yeah, Seattle Seahawks made their first appearance in the National Football League. They lost the game 30-24 to to the St. Louis Rams. That's really all I have on that fact, but I just thought it was pretty cool that a uh, that, that was when they made their appearance. Um, and, and for those who don't know, the St. Louis Rams, that is now the Los Angeles Rams. Yes, they've been the Los Angeles Rams multiple times now. We've been in St. Louis for a while. Back and, and forth. I personally would love to see them back in St. Louis. L.A. doesn't have a true dedicated fan base, and you can fight me if you feel otherwise. No, uh, I agree. The Chargers uh, shouldn't be there either. No, the Rams and Chargers, both all their games feel like away games for them because there's more of the opponent's fans in those stadiums. Um, I think it's a freaking joke. Um, but I think it's really cool that the Seahawks are in the league. There's been a lot of fun uh, teams to play in Seattle. A lot of great players that came through there. Um, the Legion of Boom obviously was pretty wild for a few years. They brought them there. Uh, is that their only Super Bowl victory? I believe it is. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Seattle seems like a really cool place to play. That Their 12th man up there is a pretty uh, daunting fan uh they have a very dedicated fan base. Yeah, there was 2014. That was it when they beat the Broncos 43-8. to Yeah, walloped Peyton Manning and the Broncos. Talk about an un, uh, uneventful Super Bowl. Not even uneventful. A lot happened. Just not a good game. Right, yeah. Great performance by the Seahawks. Not much to say with the Broncos. When you put up eight points in a game, you're not going to win too many of them. The Seahawks had one of my favorite running backs growing up that um, I think we all were like, we all loved him as a kid, or especially those of us that played fantasy football as a kid. Saying Sean Alexander? Yes, sir. Sean, number 37, Sean Alexander. Um, I believe 37. Yeah, 37, Sean Alexander. Um, he's one of those guys that, huge name. When people talk about running backs from that era, I feel like he doesn't get mentioned as much as he should. Um, it's fun to say that. It's crazy to say that era because he played till like what? Like, Let's see. I got it here. He I'd started in the year 2000 and then actually called it quits after 2008. I was going to say it's been a so long a relatively time. Short really. career for him. Played but, seven seasons with the Seahawks. Played one year in Washington. I would say he was a Redskin for a year. Yes. And then right. called it quits after that season. Only played four games that year. With, with the Redskins? Yes. I somehow remember that. Awesome. So um, his he, most yards in a year was 1,880 in 2005. I was going to say. 27 touchdowns that season. Yeah, he was a fantasy football freaking stud the one year. Um, but, yeah, he was probably, he was, him and I'd say one of my other favorite running backs of all time who I wish was held on to in Buffalo, um, Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch. I think he, I mean, he's a fun football player, but I just think he's such a fun personality. Yeah, off the field does a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Have you it, seen... Oh, there's a few video. There's a few videos, a lot of videos with him that are really funny. Um, there's one of him playing Mortal Kombat with Conan O'Brien and Rob Gronkowski. That's really good. That has to be a trip. Yeah, I was thinking recently he was out there commentating the slam, the return of Slam Ball. I heard Slam Ball is back, being on the sideline doing some color commentary. Yeah, that's awesome. He's just somebody that is. There's so many funny moments of him because he's just a naturally funny dude. Um, there's he, a. He's also in an episode of uh, Bar Rescue with John Taffer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He well, because he owned, he owned that bar. Oh, did he? Yeah, that's right. I'm pretty yeah. sure he was one of the owners of that bar. It was in in the Oakland area. 
Um, when he came to Buffalo, he did a... That's where he started his career. Yeah, right? we drafted him as a first rounder out of Kale. Um, he did a... I don't know what the video is for, but he... Maybe it was an ad for them, but he was at the Applebee's in Orchard Park or somewhere in Buffalo. It was talking about how much he loves this place and blah, blah, blah. And it's pretty entertaining. And they did like recreated it a while later. And there's just a lot of really great Marshawn Lynch um, moments. I mean, obviously his press conference moments were a lot of fun too. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Yeah, that's why I show up here every Wednesday. Tom finds me if I don't uh, don't want to record. Yeah, it's 25 bucks next time. He's ab- it's abusive. On to <laughs> September 10th, 1989, multi-sport superstar Deion Sanders of the Atlanta Falcons returns a punt for 68 yards, the first of his career. Now, you might think that's just, okay, a punt return, but a few days before that, he hit a home run while playing for the New York Yankees. Talk about a heck of a week. Yeah, the dude is like, people either love him or you hate him. I, I love the guy. I love what he's doing with college football. I He is turning around college football on its head. I have never really been one to watch college football, but I've actually made a point of watching Colorado both weeks so far this season. Yeah, you almost feel like you need to tune in and see what's going to happen. But, dude, they're them. so fun. Beyond Shadur Sanders looks really good, but and then Travis Hunter, the guy that plays both ways and like stud. almost one hundred percent of the game, absolutely stud. He played a hundred something snaps the, uh, in week one. Yeah, against TCU in like a ninety degree weather. Kid's a freak down in Texas. That's absurd. I mean, yeah. he, I, if I'm not mistaken, he was like the number one recruit. Coming well, he out was so he was a huge coup for Dion because he got him to come to Jackson State, right? Uh, HBCU and he was yeah he was the number one recruit as an I believe he was listed as an athlete or right, as a because he, he might, have listed, ways. might have been listed as a DB but either way um, he's playing both sides of the ball in college and they're beating good t- like TCU was just in the national championship last year right and lost to Georgia and was ranked very bad the like top 15 yeah to start um, the season or top 25 at least I know they were right that was a great game that was a really good game um, the Colorado TCU game not the national championship Georgia smoked right. them yeah Georgia just Manhandled them. Battered them. See you later. Nebraska, I expected them to beat. After the way they played against TCU, Nebraska's been a pretty miserable miserable program for a while now. So, I mean, they did just hire Matt Rule this offseason. He clearly did not have it out to be a no, professional he's football coach, but he's been a very good college coach. So I, yeah, I think give him a few years to recruit, turn that yeah, around. Build and, that program back up and yeah. get them to be what they're known for. They're a football school. They're not a basketball school like some of these other football schools like duke and north carolina they're not football schools they're basketball schools yeah did you see uh so you can go back to your fact real quick so speaking of Deion sanders it's funny you picked this i just saw a thing a uh, quote from him today did you know that he was also an all-state basketball player in high school no i did not so he averaged just shy of 25 points a game um he was dunking the ball constantly and but he's one thing i think people have always loved about him is his um his can he's very very candid person. I feel like he's kind of an open book at times. Yeah, he just speaks what's on his mind and he, his emotions on his sleeves. Yeah, he was said he the quote was like, Yeah, the one game put up thirty five points, had two dunks during the game. So not dunk, dunking all the time, but he wasn't exactly tall, so him getting up and throwing down is pretty cool. Scored thirty five points, had multiple dunk had two dunks in the game, and when I got off the court I took my shoes off and two roaches crawled out. He goes <laughs> He goes, People don't know where I'm people don't realize where I'm from. And the quote was like, because later elaborate on it, he's like, people just don't get where I'm from and like the effort and time. And this, none of this was given to me. That's something I think that he really instills on his teams. Uh, that's why guys want to play for him. Like I would go play for him. Yeah, sign me up. I still got um, four years of college eligibility for football. Yeah. And uh, he uh, just, I think his, I, I'm someone that really appreciates, you've known me seven years. I'm not really one to 
mince words. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> I'm an open book. I'll tell you how it is. And I really appreciate that candidness from other people. So someone to see someone like him who has the prestige and the platform that he does to be an open, honest person is pretty cool. Yes. Uh, Okay, finish your oh. point there. Oh, no, I was going to move on to my next fact, but okay, you got something to add. He's, he's six foot one to uh, labor oh. on the point that he can dunk a basketball pretty easily. Yeah, because you and I have a combined zero career dunks, and we played a lot of basketball. You got one? I've won, not in a game, but I, I have dunked a basketball before. I do have a witness. I did not do it by myself. So I threw down a soccer ball one time. I, I couldn't hang on to the basketball as I got up. Yeah, I one-handed slammed it. We, Fresh, uh, freshman year of college. We did the – so I played bar, I played through high school – and this is not a flex like we were not a very good team but we were not bad we were middle of the road uh but the one uh the one year i did yoga in gym class in high school and i just felt more stretched out than ever it was wonderful and went to practice that day and then we also we, were, we did some station work one of which was a weighted jump rope so i was already flexible and stretched out from yoga and I did a weighted jump rope and then once you got done with your turn on the jump rope it was all right grab that tennis ball and try to dunk it i got up and threw it down it was sweet it was, I felt like I could fly. It was amazing. Got so, up, did it with a te- uh, soccer ball, and then just, I couldn't hold on to the basketball. I was thankfully able to palm the basketball. I mean, so was I. Just, I think I was just nervous. Yeah. And what I realized helped me was I was uh, lifting. I started lifting. So I feel like my legs had more, that makes sense. Some more juice to them. Like you're saying, you're stretching out more. You're doing uh, some yeah. way to jump uh, rope. Limber. Your, your legs have, have some more pop to them. We don't have that natural jumping ability like some <laughs> others do. So yeah, I certainly did not. Um, I was just happy to jump over that credit card, you know? <laughs> yeah, dude. My vertical was uh, uh, was not what I was known for as a basketball player. All right. September 13th, 1973. We're going political, Tom, but barely. The U.S. Congress passes and sends a bill to President Nixon to lift NFL football's television blackout of sold-out games. So I tried to find a little more info on this um, just because I wanted to get some clarification on, I know in the NFL, if they don't sell out the game, at least it was for a while, if they didn't sell out the game, they would not air it on TV, at least not locally. Yeah, say locally, I think was the issue. So, but at some point in our lives, this came back because I remember games getting blacked out on TV. In the 2000s, 2000s, mid 2000s. Yes. So, it was um especially down like Jacksonville, like when they weren't a very good team, like not drawing any fans. I feel like that was one of the culprits. Yes. And we dealt with it in Buffalo quite a bit too. There were like there were some really miserable years there where there was games getting blacked out. I'm thinking of who the other team was that it well it's, struggled with. Was it the not the Titans? I I honestly wouldn't know off the top of my head. Maybe the Houston Texans because... I, I could mean, see that early on. Yeah, they were a new franchise but never really gained any traction. It's kind of... When you look back at it, it's pretty messed up because it's punishing the local market for not paying to go to the game. Right, like, just black it out elsewhere then. Like, at least let the local fans... The actual it. fan... Yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. not not a fan. Um, so, yeah, they repealed its... Uh, the NFL repealed its television blackout of all sold-out home games. So, I guess it blacked out sold out games at first um oh okay i see so um commissioner Pete Rizal announcing the nfl's compliance with the wishes of the congress so that eight of the 12 games to be, to be played sunday would be televised locally because all the tickets had been sold in advance um the final legislation sent to President Nixon for his expected signature stated that the blackout of home games would remain could remain 
if all the tickets had not been sold three days before the event. So that would explain it. So that could be where that came from, where that still went on. Um, Because the... um, Yeah, if your team's struggling, why do you want to go see them? Yeah, and I remember being blacked out. Or like in Buffalo, like Buffalo or, you know, anywhere up here, really specifically in the Northeast, I feel like, and uh, Midwest, you know, Green Bay, Minnesota, weather really becomes a factor. Like you can't physically get to the game sometimes or it's too freaking cold to comfortably sit up to sit out there the way you need to. I mean, it doesn't seem like the Packers fans care. It seems like they sell out no matter what, just because it's such like it's Lambeau field. You're going to get the tickets sold either way. It's interesting. I'm, yeah, I fully agree. Reading this uh, uh, article here, um, the vote was a very this decisive vote getting through the house. The uh, vote passed three thirty six to 37. The, uh, um, the guy leading the dissent in that vote was Jack F. Kemp, the New York State Republican representative who was also the Bills quarterback at one point. He was a, he's one of their best quarterbacks in their history. So he voted against voted it? Voted against it, yes. Yeah. So I found that interesting. So um, screw the NFL for trying to do that because that's predatory. But also, you know, like shout out, I guess, to, to the Nixon administration uh, for something. You know, at least taking the reducing that and getting us getting football back in under the TV. So I mean, this must have been like just before Watergate, right? Or like in the middle of it, nineteen seventy three. Seventy three. Because wasn't yeah. Watergate like seventy two, like seventy three, seventy four? All that stuff was going down. Yeah, I would think so. This he might have. This might have been something for him to try to get back in good graces. But I know he didn't last very long after Watergate. No, that yeah uh, started June seventeenth, nineteen seventy two. Ended in August ninth, nineteen seventy four. Oh, yes. Okay, so while it was all going on, yeah, yeah, you are 100% correct. So we don't need to get into Watergate. That can be another episode, (laughs) another day. Hey, surprise, Tom and Brian are setting up a political history podcast. That would be something, wouldn't it? That would be a, yeah, no, (laughs) I don't want to do that. So we'll just jump ahead to September 13th, 1982 instead. Um, Steve Carlton, he throws a complete game shutout versus the St. Louis Cardinals in a 2-0 win for the Phillies. A double in the bottom of the first by Mike Schmidt drove in Gary Matthews. The other run was scored by a solo home run courtesy of Steve Carlton himself in the bottom of the fifth. During this performance, Carlton gave up only three hits over his nine innings of work while punching out 12 hitters. A dominant performance. Yeah, I mean, you help out your own cause by hitting a dinger yourself. I'd say that's a pretty good day. Yeah, he had quite a few in his career. I mean, one sticks out. I forgot exactly when it happened, but the Phillies won, I believe it's 54 games in the season. Carlton won 27 himself. And in one of those 27 victories, he hit a home run to win one to nothing over the, I think it was uh, we, Expos. I think we, we brought that up back in the, uh, back when that, around the time that would have happened. Cause I feel like I recall us talking about that. The 27 out of 54 is re- really stood out to me. I also, I find it funny. Uh, Gary Matthews is a fun one. Um, cause he had his, his son, I remember watching his son play through the minors and yeah, Gary got, Matthews Jr. Yeah, he got a uh, through in the Orioles organization coming through Rochester, and he actually spent a good good bit of time in the majors. Um, I he think did between I think them and uh, he was on the Texas. Rangers, right? Yeah, Texas. I that was good that we both knew that. Yeah, the 1972 Phillies. I'm sorry, they won 59 games, not 54, and Carlton won 27 of those Boo. 59 starts. I'm gonna find you for getting your stats wrong. My you bad. 25 bucks back. Yeah, well, hey, <laughs> nobody's perfect, right? <laughs> No, no, not at all, including Steve Carlton on that day when he threw a three-hitter with his own home run. Yeah, I mean, imagine, well, can't even imagine that anymore because the DH is both in the NL and AL. Yeah, I don't miss the hit, the pitcher hitting 
I've always been kind of been of the mindset that it should, the DH should be universal or not at all. I think the DH is better for baseball. Um, it just gives one more capable at bat. Most pitchers aren't Shohei Otani. So uh, a lot of pitchers are just kind of useless at the plate. So I agree from that perspective, but on the opposite side of it, I liked when you actually had to like manage the game yeah. and decide, okay, am I going to send my pitcher up there to bat in the sixth or seventh inning when there's a guy on first base, but he's pitching very well? Yeah. And go to a pinch hitter That's and then true. bring in a bullpen guy. There's more like thinking involved. Now it's just like set your lineup, forget it, and then yeah. mix and match with your yeah, you make platoon a very good point. type players like for the Phillies right now, Brandon Marsh, Johan Rojas, Christian Pache. If a lefty's on the mound, the latter of those guys are starting between Pache and Rojas. And then if a righty comes out of the bullpen at some point to like combat that, Marsh pinch hits and vice versa. So it's like it's an easier game to manage these days because you can just set that lineup and not worry about it till the eighth inning when a pinch hitter is needed. But then it could be even like the fourth or fifth inning if your starter's not pitching too well. It's like, well, we have an opportunity to get back into the game. Do I pinch it for him and go to the bullpen at this point? Yeah, it definitely takes away some of the strategic aspect of the management of a baseball game. Um, And actually, it leads me to something that I kind of wanted to touch on tonight is before the season started, we touched on the rule changes in baseball because there were some pretty significant rule changes happening. I know that I personally exposed... uh, I personally had some indifferent feelings about most of them, but I was pretty adamantly anti-pitch clock. Um, I wanted to see what your thoughts were now that we've... largely through the season at this point. Um, and we've had a chance to really settle in and, wa- and watch it. What do you think of the rule changes? So the pitch clock, we'll start there. Um, I like it and I don't like it. Like I'm torn on it. I like it because of the fact that games are speeding up. To me, it was a little ridiculous. We were getting regular season games going four plus hours. Like something yeah. needed to be done. Now, I don't like that it's 15 seconds and 20 seconds. I think you can still implement the pitch clock but just have it be like 20 seconds with nobody on base, 25 seconds with somebody on base. Fully agree. I think if you add a little more time, like there have been a significant amount of pitching injuries this year. I think something needs to be changed in the offseason because of that. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I do want to say it seems like it's approaching a record number of guys who need Tommy John surgery through this season. It seems like every time you look, a new pitcher gets hurt. Like, Max Scherzer left to start last night because of tricep tightness or a spasm. He's now going to be shut down for the rest of the season because of an injury. And that, you know, as a Texas Rangers potential fan out there, if any of you are listening, I don't know if we have a reach out in Texas, but hey. I have ever met a Texas. (laughs) If you are, we appreciate you listening tonight. Yeah. And the support that you have provided us. But with that said, you can't be too excited as a Rangers fan knowing you're primetime acquisition from the trade deadline is now done for the rest of the season maybe comes back like late in the playoffs if they make a deep run but and then another starter nathan valdi had been hurt too with a forearm type of injury and it just seems like those injuries are popping up more and more across baseball from the starting pitchers i'd be curious though to just kind of watch and see i, I just want to know it look like look back on historical data of like what did injuries look like back you know, and say the seventies or the sixties and you had guys throwing complete games left and right and That's what know. boggles my mind. Those guys used to throw 120, 130, 140 pitches in a game and had no arm issues and at come all. And throw four high days later. Yeah, not even. They would have like four man rotations yeah. and be throwing so much more. Now I don't know if it's because guys are throwing more like 
curveball slider type pitches and trying yeah. to like spin the crap out of the ball. And that's why they're hurting themselves. Yeah. I mean, look at what Nolan Ryan did. He pitched for what, 20 plus years and was throwing. Just none for gas. Yeah. Just throwing like 100 plus even into his 40s. Like, I also wonder though if guys were, if the, you know, maybe if it's a question of dedication, like back then there weren't as many of the off field distractions and whatnot that you see today, the social media and just the constant analytics. And also, I just wonder if there was just tougher dudes that played through it because. You know, they just didn't have they didn't have guaranteed contracts. They didn't they weren't making exorbitant amounts of money to be out there. So they like availability, as we've said a few times, was their best ability. Because I'm curious about that because it seems like there's things that pop up more and more these days, which you feel like would be the opposite because we have better medical, uh, better medical care, better training staffs, better everything. These guys are in better shape. They have better diets. Like yeah, they train year round. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what the difference is. I don't know if the baseball. I mean, you hear some of the pitchers complain about the baseball being different from time to time. MLB's from year to year they change it. it up. Yeah. If they want more home runs, like pretty sure last year, like Aaron Judge and a couple of his like last games to pass the record, they gave some juice more the ball like, up a little bit. Juice some juice some balls up in those couple games just to make sure he did. You know, clear. No, they that. definitely do that though because there was the conversation about juiced balls in one year and then dead balls the next. And yeah, it was like twenty twenty one and then. There was juice balls in 2022. They changed it, and this year it's been changed again. And depending where you're pitching, it's different. Which is curious because the home run totals this year are pretty staggering again as well. So, yeah, it's wild. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on the pitch clock, Brian? I, you know, I that was the one I was adamantly not here for, but I do like it. I think, um, but I w- I'm with you. There, I has its positives. It has its negatives. The positives being one is that the game does move quickly. And that's really the big one. That's really the only one. I, which I, as a fan watching at home, I love it. Being in the stadium, I kind of want a little bit longer of an experience. Like when we went and watched that game together, it felt like it was over pretty quickly. It gets moving very fast. That's so. So I think from a viewing television perspective, it works out very well. But from a viewing in person experience, it's not as good. I have watched more baseball on TV this year than any year in the past, which is, I think, what MLB wanted because yeah. ratings were definitely dropping for sure. Now, ticket sales, it seems like they're up too, but I prefer, and we've talked about this before, I don't mind that I'm going to spend three and a half hours down at the ballpark. No, I like that there's no time to it. I've always liked that. I like that I can just sit there, enjoy a beer, a hot dog, and watch a baseball game. To me, you get up and go and get a beer and a hot dog, you might miss two innings of baseball now. Yeah, like we, you know, we our whole plan when we got down there was, hey, let's grab a cheesesteak, grab a beer, and we'll, we'll catch the game. And we got down there in plenty of time. We were in the stadium and it felt like in plenty of time. And the next thing you know, missed like the whole first half, half of the first inning. And then at that point, yeah, you're right. I don't want to get up. You know, like I'm here to watch the game. I, I'm going to like, if I got to pee, I'm going to hold it. Cause like, you never know, like you get stuck in a line or something. You miss an, an inning, inning and a half. Um, part of the pitch clock change also kind of ties for me into the next one of the other changes, which is the bigger bases. Um, I'm not sure what impact directly those are having, but I think what the pit, the, another impact the pitch clock is having is we're seeing the rise in stolen bases. A lot of steals going on this year. So I don't think it's just the bigger bases that helps like a less than a half a second because you have to no, run less of a distance. Me it, it's the fact that the pitchers can only go over two times now. And it yes, and it's you can time it now. Because if yeah. you got a pitcher like a, like Aaron Nola who's who relied heavily on throwing over to first base and like disrupting their <laughs> timing. Oh yeah. And just sitting there for five, ten seconds yes. looking over like, all right, am I gonna go? No. Yeah. 
and then your legs get heavy over there at first base. Well, I can't run now because he's held me for so long. And it also throws you off as a hitter. It's like, well, is this guy going to throw it? Do I call time? Do I, yeah. What do I do? And then he's not a power pitcher, Aaron Nola. No. So when his off speed, his changeup and curveball are really working, it really frustrates you as a hitter because you don't know what to do. You can't time it up. And there's that. So for me, that, that wasn't exactly the, the direction I was leaning with that statement, actually. But you make a very good point. For me, it was more so you get guys like Nola who you know are waiting till the – like they're starting their motion at the end of the pitch clock. Right, when there's – It allows the runner left. a chance to time it up. There's a reason like Acuna is at 60-plus steals in the year. And not that it's not that he's, he's very fast. He's having an incredible season. We need to touch yeah, on that phenomenal after this. Because he's killing us right now. Um, but he – I think part of it is you can time it up better now. Because you know that guy needs to at least be starting his motion at that point. There's no sitting there waiting. There's no stepping off at that point. Yeah, and if you've thrown over twice already, like you can't, unless yeah. you pick them off on the third attempt, the runner's awarded second base. So pitchers yeah. aren't going to go over. And as a runner, you know that, and you can just take off once he lifts his leg as a righty. I was going to say there's no reason Trey, Trey Turner shouldn't have 50 steals, but that's because the man's hitting tons of home runs and extra base hits lately. So there's not much, uh, not as many steal opportunities. I mean, he also struggled for, what, three quarters of the season up until I think it was like August 4th the is standing when ovation. the standing ovation happened. Yes. And, and his numbers since then are freaking just, awesome. His so his slugging, I think his slugging percentage now, I have to look up the exact stat, but his slugging percentage now over the last like month and a half is higher than what his OPS was for the first like three quarters of the season. That's wild. Just the slugging like alone. A, yes, the slugging alone is higher than what his on base and slugging were. I was gonna say for those of you that maybe not aren't the biggest baseball fans, OPS is on your on base percentage plus your slugging percentage, which again. Probably doesn't mean a whole lot because even as a longtime baseball fan, I don't entirely understand what slugging percentage is. Um, I just know the higher it is, the better. It's um, extra base hits. Like uh, what per- included what, in what, your average. What percentage of your hits are extra base hits or whatever. Yeah, okay. Something like that. That would make That's kind of what I always assumed it was. So I kind of I understood the stat without knowing what it was. Um, so not- if you want to talk about a – well, finish up your point, and then I'll touch on Acuna since we were kind of preluding to him and his excellent season. He's yeah, having. Well, We'll touch him after the last rule change that I wanted to discuss. I know it kind of came into play last year, but it's that ghost runner in extra innings. I freaking hate it. I think it's stupid. I don't like it. Um, granted, I think maybe it's just um, being burned by it lately, but I don't. I didn't like it either way. When it's worked for us, when it's worked against us, just, yeah, the, it, I, I, it's stupid. The Phillies they've lost two games to the Braves in extra innings over the last two days because of the ghost runner. Yeah, and like you said, it okay. It's nice that. We benefit from it from time to time, but I don't necessarily like it either. I think I am certainly glad that baseball got rid of the seven inning double headers. I feel like that was cheap. And Absolutely, wasn't baseball. No, because the, the grand scheme of things, you're missing four innings over the course of two games. I don't like that. No, and guys get to pad their stats a little bit. Oh, I threw a complete game. Okay, but it was seven innings. <laughs> Come back to me when it's nine, because that's such a down stat in baseball these days. But yeah, very much so. With the extra base run, I'm just glad they get rid of it in the postseason. Like, okay, yeah, we don't need regular season games going 18, 19 innings. Yeah, but sometimes Granted, it's so fun. It is enjoyable. I've been, I was at a 17 inning game down in Baltimore when the Phillies played in Camden Yards down there. Jason Michaels hit a three run home run in the top of the 17th. Jason Michaels. Shout out to Jason Michaels. We know you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> regular listener of the show. Um, uh, but yeah, like those are the types of things that like you remember. And I was twelve years old at that time. Like 
you take those memories with you forever. I was there with my dad and two cousins and those are the types of things that like draw you to baseball and it's creates yeah. those memories that you can have for a lifetime. It's one of those things that makes baseball really exciting. And it was, there was a story that I really, when we were still doing like the story fo- um, focus um, episodes, I really wanted to cover the longest game in professional baseball history. And maybe I still will next year when it comes back around, but a 33 inning affair between the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Rochester Red Wings. Pawtucket led by a man you spoke about last week or two weeks ago, Wade Boggs. Yeah, Wade Boggs. That was and last then, week. And um, then the Red Wings were led by a uh, shortstop uh, by the name of Cal Ripken Jr. I've heard of both of them. Yeah, they're both solid. We pretty, covered Cal last week players. as well. We did in his uh, the 2,632 games he played um, over the course of his career. Uh, 2,632 in a row. All right, Tom, Ronald Acuna. I hate him because he's brave, but I love how freaking good he is. He's just he's a fascinating player. So if he doesn't win MVP, I'll be totally shocked. I don't have any waiters like future bets on him to win MVP, but he's batting three thirty three right now. He has thirty seven home runs, hundred thirty two runs scored, ninety seven RBIs, sixty five stolen bases, and he's got a four fifteen on base, five eighty six slugging. That. that- might be on par with one of the greatest seasons in baseball history. He's at 7.4 war right now, and I don't think he's missed a game yet this year. He's played every single game. Yeah. No, the, what they've done down there is pretty amazing, their ability to draft and develop young talent. But then uh, I believe he was probably an international free agent at one point. Yeah, I believe so. so. They, they, and they signed him young, and boy, has that paid off. I mean, he's what everyone wants Mike Trout to be. <laughs> was what was what? Everyone was hoping Mike Trout would be long-term. Um, and speaking of Mike Trout, there's uh, the Angels are open to trading him if he's willing to be traded. So here's my thought with Mike Trout. If he gives like a list of like a couple teams that he says he's willing to be dealt to and the Phillies are on that short list, which I imagine they would be given his connections to the area, the area being from Millville, New Jersey. Diehard Eagles fan. The Phillies don't have to give up as much. No. So I don't know what the package would include. Honestly, I would probably be okay with sending Andrew Painter because he's missing all of next year. And then, you know, you hope he's the same come 2025. If you're the Phillies, I think you cash in that trade chip. Because if yeah, you get well, Mike Trout next year in center or left field roaming, I think then one of, like, Pache or Rojas goes in the deal too because it's him, like, redundant. You don't need him. I throw Pache in and see where Rojas can go. Yeah, I've been really liking him this year. I'm okay with that. Rojas brings a lot to the table. He's potentially the best defensive center fielder in the game since he came up in <laughs> yeah, in what like august i mean the amount his, of ground he can cover is silly i mean he's the, yeah the best defensive center fielder on this team with a guy like brandon marsh or roman out there is pretty solid i mean he's got a 1.9 war and he's only had 104 um plate appearances he came up on july 15th is that does he still only have that one home run yeah, off the opposition uh, player. <laughs> the Craig Kimbrell imitator. Yeah, I mean. He's, that was so entertaining. For someone, he definitely was struggling. Like, that was always going to be his thing. Could he hit the ball enough? He's batting two eighty eight right now. Like I said, only 104 at-bats, so definitely yeah. a small sample size. But he's got a three thirty nine on base, 10 stolen bases, only caught once. Well, he's exactly the kind of guy that if he can consistently put the bat on the ball, I want to see him at the top of a lineup because if he's got that speed, he's a game changer when he's on the bases. So I would say that. Opposite, though, just given the core the Phillies have. I would 
he's a great if he's your nine hole hitter that's I think outstanding more, well yeah and I'm he's more or less like your leadoff hitter some innings because you know like the eight hole hitter gets out yeah and then Schwarber Turner Harper get to I just think more in. more long term I could see him there like Schwarber's not going to be around that long especially if he's I, I imagine his batting average continues to drop over the next few years unless something really changes but he's actually back over I mean Going into like over two hundred, he, he was at two hundred. So right now he's at one ninety nine, but he was hitting like one eighty three like a month ago. And he's yeah. up to one ninety nine. So it, this late in the season, you know he's hitting very well. I love the guy. I think he's a great addition to this team. A great, great piece on this team. Um, I, I like I pointed out to you. I'm sure you've seen it having your Sunday pass, but I found it really cool the way that every time he would throw up how many outs it was to tell his, you know, the out, other outfielders. He would turn around and do it to the fans sitting there in left field, and they would do it back to him. And I thought that was really cool. He's a guy who definitely gets it. Yeah. And so his war for the season is .5. He's definitely worth more than half a win. Yeah, I think because he's got 43 he home runs. more to the tail. But it also, I think it takes into account just the stupid amount of strikeouts and stuff he's got. It's that and his poor defense. That's the reason why his war is so low. If you like just judged him strictly on like his hitting, yes, I know he does strike out a ton. Let's see. He has how many strikeouts? He has have? some really weird, like, historic stat line. Of, he has 190 strikeouts so far in the season. Doesn't he also have some absurd amount of walks as well, though? He has 117. Yeah, I was going to say, I knew he had, like, a lot of walks. Like, he's had quite the... Um, yeah, last year he had 86 walks. He's surpassed that by a mile now. Yeah, so I'll be... Uh, overall, I like him. I know he has some his naysayers around here, but I think he brings more to the team than just the stat line and i think people who weren't exactly athletes in college or athletes through their lives or at one point don't really understand what what i you mean when you say like he brings more than stats to a team there is something about a guy that really brings a locker room together and leads yeah he's the clubhouse presence that he has is definitely something i mean dave dombrowski said that he is the best clubhouse leader he's ever seen in his career and that's saying something because he had on the block I mean, Darren Dalton is famously known as a Phillies player, also was with the Marlins, and that's where him and Dombrowski crossed paths oh, for being a that. great clubhouse leader. And he said he straight up said that Schwarber's the best clubhouse like presence he's ever wow. seen. That's pretty cool. Well we're And Dombrowski's been around a lot of clubhouses too, like yeah, the Red sure Sox has. with like David Ortiz. Oh yeah. I, I don't I think mean, Manny Ramirez was a great leader, but like I feel like the the guy that there that i would think when i think of like that era of red Sox and who i felt like was the leader on that team it was the guy behind the plate jason veritek yeah veritek i think that was probably like end of nomar's career well he ended up he ended up in chicago was he in the dodgers too yeah so he was out of boston at that point i would guess i would guess um but i remember, i feel like i always thought of like veritek kind of as the leader and then pedroia kind of eventually moved into that role david ortiz did too um yeah, he was out of Boston in 04. That's when he got traded to the Cubs. And then, and then the Dodgers for three seasons and then one last season with the Oakland A's. Oh, yeah, he did. He was an A, an athletic. Oh, that'll be good for the Immaculate Grid next time I see it. <laughs> Boston, yeah, Oakland, good one. no more. Oh, we, no my. We were doing that one of those Immaculate Grids when I was out in Chicago with my cousins, and we were talking to my one cousin, Adam, played football at University of New Mexico. And one of their coaches is a man by the name, I believe it's Byron Barry. I don't know if that's the correct last name. It's Byron something. And who actually, uh, Byron Bell. Um, played like six or seven years in the league. And so we're doing these immaculate, immaculate grids on this site. And 
two teams pop up like bears and Packers or lions and Packers or something. And, um, he goes, Oh, coach Barry played for them, threw him in there. And boy, don't you know it? This one, and this one showed you like the percentages of people that guessed it. Probably like point one. Uh, point yeah, yeah, it was um, it was around like point one. Point, I think it was the lowest that they would give you. Yeah, Byron Bell, a tackle Bell. out of New Mexico. Yes, sir. He played for the Carolina Panthers, Tennessee Titans, Dallas Cowboys, and I'm guessing this is the Green Bay Packers. It was the Packers. GND. There's a there's yeah. a couple pictures of him in front of Rogers actually, which is pretty cool actually. But that was like so random. Uh, if you haven't played any of the done the immaculate grids, if you're a sports fan. Uh, Google Immaculate Grid. Um, yeah, they post it each morning around like 9 o'clock. They yeah. do baseball, they do football, NFL football, and then soccer football for you European listeners. Um, they do hockey. <laughs> Our Europeans. And professional basketball, both men's NBA and then the women's NBA too. So basically what it is is it's a grid of 3x3. Three three. It's a 3x3 three three grid. Along the top, you'll typically have like three team names, or three logos, and a different three down the side. And you got to find a player that played for both of those teams or fits the criteria. Very tough, but if you love sports and sports history like we do, it's a lot of fun. I do them almost every day. Tom and I send each other our results. Uh, the one thing you do need to keep in mind, the uh, the player you're thinking of has had to play for Yes, the I got burnt on that in the uh, in training camp this year with a few of them. Yeah, in the beginning, you're like, oh, nice. I know this one. <laughs> like There was one the other day. It was like the Phoenix Suns, the Washington Winters. I was like, all right, perfect. Oh, right. Bradley Beal. But Bradley Beal has yet to play. Oh, Wizards. I, th- I thought Warriors, yeah. Yeah, Wizards. Um, So the Bradley Beal has yet to play a official regular season game for the Phoenix Suns. So he does not count yet. So things like that. And the goal of it is to obviously get all nine if you can. You only get nine guesses. But you want to be as like non-forming with the rest of the guesses out there. So you want a lower percentage of your person. If you're getting someone who has been picked by like 70% of the people filling out yeah. the grid, like your rarity score is not as good. You want that like 0.1% you were mentioning yeah. for so like Byron Bell. Byron Bell was a lucky lucky one off. Um, we also got Jets and Cardinals, and I pulled the name Anthony Becht out of a hat. Dude was a backup tight end for both of those teams. I think he went to my senior Bonner. And he was a – Which is uh, a school in Delaware County. Yes. Okay. He uh, he was like a 0.1, and that was a pretty cool uh, pretty cool find. So Yeah, he's from Drexel Hill, PA. Went there to we West go. Virginia. Delco. Um, but there, it's a lot of fun. Definitely highly recommend checking out the Immaculate Grid. Like Tom said, they have baseball, basketball, football, soccer, hockey. The other one I got the other day was Ty Wigginton. That was like 0.2%. Philly's a Mets player. Holy moly. That helped. You see, when you get somebody that's like your your team and in I your division, like right it makes away. it easy. Yeah, so like when I, anytime the bills pop up on these, I was doing one with some friends the other day. We had it up and uh, – the bills came up and I, and they're like, Oh yeah. Like I think it was Vikings bills. And they picked out like Stefan Diggs, of course. And I was like, Obvious yeah, obviously. One. So like, that's the one that like 50 to 60% of the population. Yeah. And I'm guess. out here like, yeah, Pat Williams, Antoine, Win- Pat Williams and Antoine Winfield were the two big ones when I was a kid um, that were that, that really overlapped. Pat Williams was a defensive tackle who was very good for quite some time. Antoine Winfield obviously was a very good cornerback. Um, his son's now in the league, but I love to kind of, I love going through those. It's kind of a good test of, your sports knowledge and um, whether or not, you know, you can uh, pull those out of a hat. Yeah. It's always fun. I enjoy, I look forward to it every morning. Now I've been doing it for maybe a month or so. I got to get back onto the one that you and I do. I found a website that has some older ones. Cause sometimes it's fun to like, I'll get done the one and be like, I want to do the, ne- do the next one. I'm pretty good at baseball. I'm pretty good at all of them, but, but baseball's definitely my best. I would say hockey might be number two. Okay. Football's not, I mean, 
I feel like I know the offensive side of the ball so well just because of, like, fantasy football. Yeah. But, like, the defensive side, I don't really know. Like, there was one the other day, Eagles-Broncos. First one popped to mind was Brian Dawkins. Yeah. And I don't know. Ronald Darby. Darby? Did Darby? Well, Darby he sure for the, did. He played for the Broncos. I know he played for the Bills. Yes, sir. We he traded also played him. for Washington. We traded him to you guys for Jordan Matthews, um, and then he, you guys cut him, and he ended up in Denver at one point. Ah, that's right. And I think that he got hurt out there again, too. Yeah. Yeah. He was really good for us as rookie year and then kind of fell off. He didn't fit the scheme when they changed coaching staffs, but that's I digress. I'm with you, though. I Baseball, I'm definitely – I tend to be good at uh, – well, I, I, I feel like I'm pretty solid at all of them besides soccer, but baseball and bas- basketball tends to be a good one for me because I feel like there's less people to choose from. Like, and that to me, that makes it easier. Like, basketball players in my brain stick out more notably because there's only 12 guys on a team at a time, 14 guys on a team. Yeah, like 15 at most on the roster, and then, like, maybe eight or nine are playing on a regular basis. Yeah, then when you, then you got guys like Robin Lopez, who have played for nine teams, or Ish Smith, or those Ish guys. Smith is the one. You, you just, like, throw Ish Smith. Isaiah Thomas. Most likely, like, checks all boxes for each team. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. It's a great way to test your sports knowledge. And I recommend um, those of you listening, we're, uh, as we're wrapping it up here, Pull up the Immaculate Grid. Check it out. Send us your results. Love to see what you guys come up with. Love to know other players. It will tell you once you get them right or wrong. At the end, it'll tell you other options. And I love going through it and be like, oh, man, I knew that. Yeah, you can see the summary each time. And you can see who are, like, the most popular guesses. And then you can see, like, like you are saying, um, it'll show you, like, okay, this person played for, if you click on, it was, like, Phillies, Mets. You can click on who played for both. And it'll take you to a list of hitters oh, yeah. and pitchers yeah very cool definitely worth checking out highly recommend it the immaculate grid uh, always throw edwin jackson in there too you like you'll never go wrong with him <laughs> edwin like jackson teams. Uh, taiwan walker you could throw on there as well he's been around the league quite a few times quite a bit at this point and uh, kenny lofton is a pretty good all if you want a little bit of a throwback that man played for about 10 different teams so can't go wrong there it's always fun just seeing who and then it like uh, brings the your brain, like makes your brain think like Great way to start the morning for me because it gets yeah. the brain juices flowing. It's and then moving. after you more or less give up or give up, give all your guesses, you get to see those guys that played on such teams. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy now. And it really, yeah. It brings I, it back. I love the way it jogs your memory and takes you back to a different different period in time. And, um, you know, thinking about some of those guys who haven't crossed your mind in a while. So definitely check it out. Um, and speaking of checking it out, Make sure you follow us on all of our social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Going Back Pod. You spell it out the way it sounds, Going Back Pod. We uh, announce all our new episodes every week. Maybe we'll get back into doing some uh, some posts and stuff, but you know, follow us, interact with us. You know us. Hopefully you love us. We love you um, for showing up, listening every week. And uh, Tom, you got anything for us before we uh, we sign off? Yeah, quick fantasy football. I like Jordan Addison this week. Plays the Eagles. They don't have the best slot coverage. James Bradbury is out with a concussion. So look for him to have a nice solid week. First the birds tomorrow night. Um, and then last week, the movie was the other guys. It was. For Aim for the Bushes. I knew it as soon as you, as soon as soon we lo- we signed off. You were correct. Yes, so I got another one for you tonight, Brian. All right. Now remember, it's not a man purse. It's called a satchel. Indiana Jones wears one. Oh, I know this one. It is Tell oh. me off the air so the listeners can oh, yeah. send us the correct answer. 100%. And we'll give you that one next week. All right, guys. Send us your answers. Hopefully, if you're our age, uh, odds are you should know this one. Um, that one was pretty pretty straightforward. Tom, I appreciate you throwing that one out there. Yeah, to make an easier one. At least got one week. right this week. But, guys, thank you again for checking us out. As always, here at the Going Back Pod, I am Brian. With me is Tom. We love you. Follow us at Going Back Pod. 
and we will see you next week. Peace.